Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's Reddit series video from the subreddit HFY called Absence Makes the Heart, Part 2 of 5, written by Mac Die. One day, the Cleistered Empress, her mother, expelled all the human diplomats and ambassadors from the Empire. Similar action had been taken throughout the United World over the past few years. The excuses had been myriad, claims of spying and espionage targeting military sciences, accusations of intent of military aggression as evidenced of the human governments purchasing outdated warships slated to be scrapped, piracy and smuggling, home government-assisted illegal immigration, economic destabilization, as human governments and companies sought to create artificial reliance on industrial export markets that simply could not be beneficial for the humans. It hadn't exactly been sudden or expected. Unfortunate, but all the reports of the United World Nets told the same thing. The humans simply were not worth the effort to maintain communications and dealings with. They had nothing to offer. They were violent and sinister and untrustworthy. She wondered sometimes how Ben was doing. The nightmares came and went, but there were always dreams, sometimes nightmares, and that they were simply normal, wasn't it? And they changed, no longer so afraid, so panicked. They grew colder, less erratic, a sign maybe that she was growing up and improving self-confidence playing out in the dreams about Ben. Captain Ben Owens gripped the ceiling handle as he stood at the commander station aboard the Falcon. He stood with a sense of surety that he had been slow to learn. Falcon to tower, we're on station, ready to receive shuttles. The sublight patrol cutter held its location a mere hundred kilometers off the hatches of the hangar ring and the asteroid-turned-space station. Engineers were hard at work on the ship's hull, struggling to clear the structural damage to the main gun's turret ring, where an enemy hunter-killer had nearly managed to connect grappling tendrils to the Falcon's hull. Similar enemy vessels were attached to the station, as the militia detachment had already gone aboard, despite the risk that the Falcon wouldn't be able to extract them. Only five patrol cutters remained of dozens that had once made up the Vega Tory patrol fleet. The government had only managed to spare a single outdated FTL-capable destroyer to serve as the system's patrol fleet's capital ship, and it had been lost weeks ago. Lost wasn't the right word. The dervish was advancing towards the station even as he struggled to assist the evacuation efforts. The hull was torn, the interior exposed to the vacuum of space. It was little more than a skeleton upon which the enemy's hunter-killers had wrapped their biomechanical tendrils. Using the still working engines and power plants of the derelict to traverse the system. Tower, this is Falcom. You are clear to start sending shuttles. Do you copy? He started the main view screen, which showed the station as a whole. An explosion tore a massive hole in part of the hab ring, dangerously close to the main access tunnels to the loading ring where the evacuation efforts were underway. Captain, I've got small arms fire in the tower. The image of the main display changed, focusing in on the heavy armored windows of the control tower, situated to overlooking the approach entrance to the hangars. The flashes of light, a sure sign of weapons fire in a poorly lit room, was quickly dying down, and it probably wasn't because the security staff were winning. If they got into the tower, they probably got in the station systems. What's the situation in the hangar? 
He turned towards the secondary communication station, tasked and dedicated to support and deploying militia troops. We've got noticeable delay through the station's communication, sir. They're relying on the shuttle's radios now. Tower is gone, and the security detail holding the generators are overrun. They've loaded the first shuttle and are ready to launch. He nodded, hiding the concern that was starting to well up. Not concern, dread. We're ready. Get those bay doors open and shuttles off the tarmac now. Dervish will be AO in 10, sir. Energy spikes and hunter killers, they're warming up to engage. Another nod but his gaze was glued to the main display of the station, where the main shuttered doors could be seen, seen, not moving. Power's out in the loading ring, they can't get the doors open. He wasn't surprised, he glanced at the sector display showing the dead grey marker of the dervish drawing closer, and had dozens of enemy craft attached to its hull, living off its power plants. Manual control, those bay doors are rigged with secondary hydraulics, can they... Militia confirms contact with loading ring, spiders in the hangar. His heart stopped. Everything stopped. Dread slowly gave away to a simmering, deep-seated anger. Partly at the enemy, partly at himself. He hadn't been quick enough, hadn't responded to the station's distress call on time. He had waited, delayed to give these engineers time to get the main guns working, if not able to traverse first. The guns that had been useless to him to help the station... Can the militia hold? No, sir. There are too many of them. Tactical tube one, tube two, nuclear. Sir, load them. The grip tightened briefly and overhead in the handrail, and then he tore his arm free and slipped between the two consoles to reach the weapon station, where the junior officer was visibly shaken, unable to process Ben's order. It's okay, son. Step aside. The operator stared at him, face pale in his helmet, eyes wide. Sir... The civilians. There are 776 souls living on that station. They were looking forward to hitting 777 next month. But she's carrying twins. She's got no end of flack for it either. He gently pushed the tactical officer aside and deftly tapped the controls to load the nuclear warhead armed torpedoes into either tube. My sister Sarah. She's a flight controller. She was probably in the tower. Something was dying inside of him. A light going out. Targeting was set, the tower and the hangar. Comms, tell our boys and girls that it'll be over soon. Sir, he didn't hesitate when he launched the torpedoes. Nav, get us the hell out of here. Get the governor on the horn. Let him know that the sector is lost. He watched the torpedoes track towards the targets, the detonations causing the image to flare out momentarily. 778 more souls. 50 militia, volunteers, a niece and a nephew that he never met. One push of the button. There was no word for any of the new troubles the human space of the United World nets. She saw no reports from the border patrols of mass migrations or unusual activity. No mentions of oddities in human trade. In fact, there was nothing at all on humans or any of their governments, any of their dealings. It was as if... They simply ceased to be. To say no one noticed or cared was an exaggeration. There were plenty of individuals that had had pleasant dealings with humans, had friends to trade partners, but the powers that be had no such interests, and any requests for information fell on deaf ears, even her own requests. She had even sought an audience with her mother, the Empress, directly, 
The conversation had lasted less than a minute before her mother had shot her down. Humans simply were not worth the effort and would sort out their own troubles. So Piella found herself sitting in her office, a guard at a door, and her access to anything on her personal or work devices severely limited. She was alone, except for hope. Any AI tended to follow the trends in the same way as thought process of its creator. Any purely created program AI would never have been able to navigate the created computer systems unnoticed, simply because those systems were in turn guarded by another created AI, and any other species AI would also never have been able to navigate the system without being detected, because it in turn wouldn't be been able to navigate the system carefully. Hope, however, had taken a lot away from the reference files that notes that Ben had left her, both in her programming and in his suggested reading files. Hope was, perhaps, the best of both worlds. She navigated the clearstead systems with all the knowledge needed to seem like she belonged, and bore all the creativity and spontaneity of the human mind, allowing her to bypass the security programs and trick her fellow AIs. I need you to do something for me. I already did it, mother. Hope appeared smaller in Piella's hand on the desk, or started anyway. Father told me that knowledge is power, especially for an AI. She grinned up at Piella, her odd mix of human and cleistered features seemed so natural. She wasn't surprised by Hope's admission. She was, probably, more surprised that the AI hadn't owned up to her activity sooner. And what have you found out, Hope? How long, mother? The Empress of Cleasted Empire had an office, not a throne room, while still indeed an inherited title and indeed wielding the power and the title implied. Throne rooms were just so, uh, outdated. Impractical, there still was a throne room, of course, for ceremonies and such, but for the day-to-day ruling of the interstellar empire that counted hundreds of worlds and trillions of citizens... Having an office with a computer and a comfortable chair was just far more practical. Had all that to say, she was alone with her eldest daughter, who had stormed in unannounced and uttered three simple words without any context. It was her emotions that gave away what she was getting at. Had she ever been so free of her emotions as a child? No. It had come from her time at the academy. The Empress was sure it had actually served her well in some cases. All the movers and shakers in the political theater hadn't been sure what to make of her whenever she started to throw her weight around and backed it with her blatantly displayed emotions. Long enough, the humans are holding it at bay for a moment, and we are preparing. It's impressive, actually. They have finally started to unite these past few years. My military advisors were correct in that aspect, at least. Invading a human-held territory would have been a nightmare, no matter how splintered they seem. They can unite against a common enemy very quickly. Piella had finally caught on to something many in the government were still blind to. The blackout of the net had been surprisingly successful. There were entire worlds that had become aware of the threat, at least in some small measure. But it was easy to contain such things when one controlled the satellites and comm relays. No, mother... How long have you known? How long have we been turning a blind eye? The Empress paused then, momentarily taken back by the sudden flare of emotion her eldest daughter was experiencing. It was a beacon of hate, anger, and fear, all directed at herself, her own mother. Vegatorius Wallen hasn't it. They're evacuating the system. 
The patrol fleet is fighting a delaying action, aren't they? The enemy. What is it? She was again taken off guard. That very report, that foul, unvagatory system, had only just reached her minutes ago. With its collapse, People's Socialist Stellar Republic was all but cut off from the other human territories. Their government was already in exile, the last remnants of the fleet dedicated to assist the evacuation of the Vega Tory system. A machine intelligence, not a true AI, ancient, my advisors suspect it was the first developed as a terraforming engine. The humans call it a von Neumann machine. It harvests resources, it cannibalizes anything it can use, ships, machines, programs, people. But we will be ready to fight it, should it make it to us. Fiera was silent. A sudden wave of confusion and horror waved over her. The nightmares she had so long ago. Ben trying to shoot someone, but he couldn't. His weapons wouldn't fire because... Because it was programmed not to fire an allied soldiers. Dead men. Houses with wires threaded through his body. Horrifying metal claws embedded into his flesh. Using them like a puppet. A shield. Now, daughter, how did you know about this? I, uh... I wasn't dreaming, mother. It's Ben. I can see what he sees, mother. They're alone. He's all alone, and he's trying so hard. She wept. The empress of the cleared empire was shaken to her core by the sudden burst of emotions. Her daughter, raised and conditioned from birth to the be the perfect empress, openly wept. She would have wept even if they had not been alone. Her barriers had fallen, and any who knew her would feel the raw emotion. Vegatory burned under nuclear flame before the last of the people's socialist stellar republic's fleet left orbit. Better to burn it by their own hand than let the enemy have it. It was a kindness to the wildlife after all. You were lucky, you know. Admiral Lee and Lu stood on the cruiser Chao Ho, the largest ship remaining in the public's fleet. Next to him was Commodore Ben Owen, recently promoted after taking command of a mostly volunteer fleet at the Battle of Casapal Asteroid Belt, which had delayed the enemy advance into the inner system for months. He knew what the Admiral was saying was true. The brunt of the enemy forces had always been to the Republic's territory. They had been fighting the enemy for a long time. His own government had committed the bulk of the fleet there to their aid early on and had taken in millions of refugees during the conflict. They were still trying to get a rough estimate on the death toll the Republic had suffered. They had lost entire systems quickly, had thrown their fleets and troops against the enemy in droves. The other nations had learned their lessons from the Republic's trial by fire, and the enemy's focus had allowed the other nations time to prepare. And now he watched his birth world burn and knew that it was a mercy and the only means that they had left to strike back at the enemy, to slow their advance, to buy time. Something he hadn't felt in a long time came to him slowly. He was distant and slowly building all-consuming wave of sadness, loss, desperation. The admiral glanced at him, then quickly turned his gaze away and pulled a handkerchief from his pocket holding it to Ben. He stared at it for a moment, wondering why he was offering it, and why his vision was so blurry, his cybernetic eye probably acting up again. It was long overdue for a recalibration. It took him a moment to realize what he was feeling, and that he was crying. Thanks, Admiral. 
What we gain if we help them, everyone at the table, knows that what was just a matter of time before the human government or another brought war to our borders. They are savages, brutes, crude, violent, and untrustworthy. Better that we let them grind themselves against the bond human machine of theirs. We will take it, the survivors, retake their space, and teach them the importance of unity and conservatism. The Grand Admiral Sayantan sat two seats to the right of the Empress. Only her personal advisor held the seats most adjacent to her at the long table. Lined by sector governors, politicians, experts, and military representatives, and Piera, and her own comparatively tiny gathering of supporters. Have you ever met a human Grand Admiral? Her tone was flat, cold, and emotionless, proper perhaps. Her own barriers were up, her emotions neatly in check, but his tone had been insulting and close-minded. He shifted in his seat to peer down the table at length at Piella and frowned briefly. No, I have not, not in person, only the pirates when I was just a captain. Have you heard of the term privateer before, Princess Piella? It means a state-sanctioned pirates. Human nations use them to destabilize regions and influence economic systems. Mercenaries paid to pick a fight with the governments were too cowardly to do themselves. Your point, Grand Admiral? He sighed, and the feeling of a tired parent explaining something to a painfully simple to a slow child was let slip of his own barriers. A subtle insult, a risky thing to do to the eldest child of the Empress. In the same damn room as she, but it was let slide. They cannot be trusted. They will do anything for profit, for power, and will sacrifice anything and anyone to get it. I argue against saving them at all. Let this von Neumann machine kill a lot of them, and then dash itself against me, the Empire's fleet. She felt a brief surge of rage, but quickly brought it under control. But it has been decided to save them, some of them at least, for the moment, until you see the error of your ways. And with that in mind, I propose assisting them with the formation of camps. We are preparing to fund an expeditionary fleet to begin facilitating the formation of and transport of human citizens to the worlds and locations indicated in the report. Old mining stations to fund colonies and outposts, it will be easy to make them fit their habitation. Even in the long term, humans have regularly demonstrated a surprising ability to live just about anywhere. They are like rodents that way. Should we allow refugees into our territory, they will be everywhere. Have you seen the reports about their breeding potential? The Minister of Economics spoke up next. They already tried to destabilize our economy with cheap labor and goods. Biela sighed and shared a glance with her mother, who hid a hint of a bemused grin. The minister had fallen for the empress's own mandated propaganda campaign, and even now knowing the enemy of the humans were fighting, continued to blame them for things that they had never been their actual intention. Cheap labor meant a means of unofficially evacuating civilian populations to secure space, and the cheap goods had been to entice other races to sell ships and weapons to help fuel the fight against the invaders. They can live in almost any environment, so long as there's breathable atmosphere, Minister. Results of many generations of genetic modification and selective breeding has made their food sources very easily produce in mass. They would indeed be cheaper and easier to employ than place than our own citizenry that have no interest in working. 
It was a terrible argument, and she hated herself for using it, but it would open the door to get their citizens to safety, and give her the ammunition that she would need to slowly force the Empire into the conflict. And she was the Empress. The minister surprised her by actually giving her a statement honest thought. The meeting continued, argument and counterpoint, but in the end received the very consensus she sought. A small fleet, access to defunct facilities or unused planets to house human refugees. It would be a slow process to bring them all together and prepare for the next move, but it was a step in the right direction. Ambush! Chowho has been boarded. The frickers were. All Dominion ships disengage immediately. Withdraw to rally point. Confirm. Strike 5, 7, 13. Boarded and command ship. All ships press. Mayday, 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 we've been boarded, engines are down. Commodore Owen stood on board the Falcon, a new ship, his old sublight patrol tug having been scuttled back in Vegatory. His new boat was a destroyer class, built for speed, overhauled for improved flak coverage. His naval task force was one of the few that actually reached its objective, and they were probably going to pay the price for it in the Dominion of Planet State's fleet began to disengage from the battle. Task Force Delta to all ships, we have troops on the command ship. You have to bite time, or this whole goddamn effort will be for nothing. He gripped the handle above the captain's seat, standing as he often did. The handle, in fact, had been lifted from the original Falcon by some of his crew without his knowledge. He had taken a risk, a big risk, all the eggs in one basket kind of risk. An old friend had come up with something, a xenozoologist. An enemy had a biological element to its system, and she devised some kind of engineering virus that had proven effective on captured samples. So, the fleets of five nations had been scrounged together, only the Dominion's forces were anything close to intact, as the enemy had only just reached their space. So, they had navigated the gravity well of a black hole, threaded between binary star systems, and pushed deep into lost territory. It had taken a long time, but it had paid off when they found the craft that had begun to attack the Republic's space what felt like ages ago. But the enemy had been waiting for them, spotted them sometime along the courteous route maybe, or maybe that was what they were always ready for a strike against the command ship. Whatever the case was, hunter-killers had begun swarming the system hot on the fleet's heels. Fallen human ships taken by the enemy were used to carry them across the void. There continued to be no evidence that the enemy was capable of FTL on its own. The command ship had drifted into the First Republic system at sublight, having spent countless centuries to cross the void of space. Had the Republic asked for help in the beginning days and not tried to capture the study of the ship on their own, things may have gone differently. Instead, they had fed the FDL-capable ships and underestimated the speed at which it could establish a manufacturing base. What's the situation? He glanced at the secondary comms officer, usually tasked to work with the ship's marines when they were deployed off ship, and who was instead busy trying to organize those marines as they fought aboard their own ship. Two hunter-cutters had attached to the hull, dozens of spiders had gotten aboard, and more were coming. They're pushing for the central computer core and engineering. The marines are certain that they can contain the bastards, though, sir. These ones, though, sir, they, uh... They keep the host alive. We can hear the screams. It was unconfirmed when we launched on this op. 
The ship rocked suddenly, and crippled Hunter Killer crashed into the hull, obliterating a pair of flak cannons. Gap in hour. Two more, though. Impact in three. The tactical officer grabbed a handrail, as he did the rest of the crew as the ship suddenly rocked on its axis. All hands, repel borders. Navigation, keep us on course. Tactical, keep firing. Task Force Delta, this is Commodore Owens. Stay on task. Say again, stay on task. The screams beyond the sealed bridge doors redoubled. It hadn't taken the spiders long to get through the hull. They were getting better. He drew his sidearm and turned towards the door, where he caught his own reflection in the screen of the Marine's helmet, just for a moment. She awoke screaming, angry, frustrated screams. Hope appeared instantly standing on the table next to Piala's bed. Mother... It took her a moment to get herself under control. The rage simmered and slowly died down to be replaced by a dull ache. She was silent for a moment, sitting up in her narrow, hard mattress bed, her head and fingers width away from smacking the low ceiling. Hope! She frowned, staring at the sheet before finally tossing it aside and swinging her legs off the bed to stare at the small stateroom. How long do humans live? Forty years? Do you know how many human years I've been alive, mother? Another moment of silence, then she could see Ben's reflection in the helmet so clearly. The scars, the cybernetic eye, wrinkles, a strange concept those, they had made him look weary, aged. His hair was cut so short, not like she remembered, and it was grey as stone. You activated me thirty human years ago, mother. Father has been fighting this war alone for a long time. Some small part of her knew that humans were short-lived, and she hadn't realized. Had it never really clicked for her that they tracked time so differently? Find him. Tell him that I'm coming. Hope flashed a proud smile, staring at her mother for a moment. It had been a long time coming. Father had told her in his letter to stay with mother and take care of her, never leave her, and to help her, that she was going to be lonely. But if mother told her to do it, she could leave, because it was helping mother after all. I will see you soon, mother. Be safe, Hope. Three weeks, 27 inter-system jumps, and the Dominion fleet fled, only to thunder into the enemy at the next grab well. It had been a short, bloody battle, from which only seven of their 50 ships had escaped. The only saving grace was most had scuttled themselves after they were boarded. The rest of the fleet had been torn to shreds. The bioweapon had failed. All the teams had been killed before they could deliver it. The enemy had thrown themselves at the artillery ships in waves before they could even engage the command ship. In hindsight, the whole thing had probably been pointless. If it really was a von human machine, it would self-replicate you, which meant that there were more somewhere in the galaxy. So even if they had killed the command ship, would another simply adapt to control hunter-killers in factories? They could communicate instantaneously across any distance, after all. They were hounded every step of the way, and by some miracle made it back to human space, only to find the situation had continued to worsen. Major population centers overrun, every foreign power continued aggressively to maintain closed borders, more reports of alien border security vessels firing on refugee ships that tried to run their blockades. It had been a warning shots at first, but as desperation increased, and they tried to run the blockades anyway. Well, there was a better way to go, he supposed. 
The only respite was the Cleistered Empire. They hadn't exactly opened their borders, but they were accepting some human civilians at least, and had even offered a patrol that stretched the human borders, freeing up dozens of warships to the front lines, many of which had been lost in the failed strike. They were met by half a dozen picket ships when they entered the Selene Star system, repurposed sublight cargo tugs with a few outdated patrol cutters. They knew the answer before the formation commander even asked. Commodore Owens to Sector Command. He stood from his seat, reaching for the ceiling handle that was no longer there. Even after weeks of self-repair, the bridge was riddled with signs of how close the fighting had come. He was going to put his navigator up for accommodation. The cold-nerved bastard had kept piloting even when the bridge had been breached. Falcon, this is Sector Command, we already know the gist of it. A trio of Dominion stragglers made it back three days ago. We're in rough shape. Request a transit cross-system and head for the Premian shipyard. It was an obvious answer. The few ships that had left were torn to shreds, and it was the nearest shipyard that could affect any semblance of refit and repairs. One jump away. Negative, Commodore. Primen's been hit. They have changed their tactics, pressing deeper in system rather than establishing footholds first. He closed his eyes, again absently reaching for the handle that wasn't there anymore, then gave up and sat down instead. Acknowledged, Sector Commander. Orders? We're hoping that you could tell us, Commodore. You're the ranking fleet officer, as far as we know. The last cruiser is escorting the Owl, Republic, the Union governments to Cleistered space. Of course, Roger, we'll taxi into orbit, prepare. The comms suddenly flared out in the high-pitched squeal. Sir, we've got a massive data packet inbound. Firewalls are going down. The monitors on the bridge flared out and went dark for a moment, then came back as if nothing had gone wrong. There was a moment of silence on the bridge. Everyone, himself included, certain that the enemy had come up with a new trick. When suddenly, he found himself staring at a woman the size of his hand, standing where one of the holographic displays would usually appear. Comms, who is this? He stared at the holographic image for a moment. She was certainly beautiful, a bit odd. Clear-stood features, eyes tilted slightly downwards towards her nose and a faint line of scales that would have been more prominent than Cleistered still arced up across her eyebrows where they may have been. Her hair was jet black rather than the emerald green and blues of the Cleistered. No active comm signal, sir. Too big for a recorded message. He glanced at the comms officer and then back. Hello, father. You look old. She smiled at him. A beautiful, awkward, honest smile, all teeth and squinty-eyed, hands clutching tight to her sides as she peered at him. He leaned forward in his seat and turned his head a bit just to see her was a remaining eye, and he smiled. The scars across the other side of his face made the cheek more grimacing smirk, a sight few could even pretend to enjoy. He couldn't remember the last time he'd smiled, the last time he allowed himself even a hint of joy. Hello, daughter. The rest of the bridge crew shared a glance, and the navigator leaned over to the comms officer. I, uh, I didn't know the Commodore was married. She's an AI, idiot. Oh, right, yeah, uh, I knew that. Just, just by the ship. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. 
And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.